Um, we are going to Japan, and we're going to get to that. We're going to share about it here in just a little bit. Um, but this morning, Tim was generous enough to give us the time to kind of talk to you all. And, and so we wanted to share a brief snapshot of missions. So what it is, what does the Bible say about it? And because that's a big part of our story, um, Tim's why it says our story, but also we want to share even how it's also a part of our story as the church, as a whole, and so how we're all called to be involved. And so, um, we can you go to the next slide, please? Perfect. So, there's a picture of us, our family. Oh, it's nice here, too. Okay. Um, a little bit about us. We did attend Kansas State University. Probably mixed demographic of KU, K-State fans here. Maybe Wichita State, I don't know. But we went to Kansas State. I grew up a KU fan. Go figure. Um, we met at K-State. And we were married in 2016. I graduated in December of 2015. Emily graduated in May of 16. Um, started dating, engaged, and married all in the same year. So we moved pretty quick, but we felt like that was appropriate. Um, and we are currently, we're moving to Orlando in two weeks to begin work with an agency called Pioneers. And we're going to share some more specifics about all that, like I said here in a little bit. Pioneers essentially is a missions agency. Their main hub is in Orlando, Florida, which is where we're moving to work. And their focus um, is to pioneer with local churches to send spiritually healthy and equipped workers to share the gospel and to plant churches among the unreached people groups of the world. So Tim was generous enough to give us the full time. I promise I won't take too long. I like lunch. I know you guys probably like lunch, so we'll, we'll move on pretty quick. Can you go to the next slide, please? Cool. So missions can kind of be a bit of an ambiguous term today. Sometimes missions is something nearby, sometimes it's something far away. If you're like me growing up, missions was somebody who grew up in a, a hut somewhere. Um, they sacrificed all material possessions for the sake of living amongst these people. So there's a lot of ambiguity about this term, but is the Bible something that says, yes, missions is this really ambiguous thing, or is the Bible very specific about what missions is? And so the goal today is to talk about what it is, go to Scripture to look at that, where does it start, and talk about what it is, who's called to be involved, how are we called to be involved, and why is missions here in the first place? Why does it exist? So let's talk about where we first see missions. Um, some of you might think, well, we see missions first with Jesus. Some might think, well, we see missions first with the disciples and with the Great Commission and, and all of that. Some might think, well, the Old Testament prophets. But I would believe, and others would believe, missions actually starts way back in the beginning, in Genesis. Okay, So Genesis 1 through 2, you've got the creation story, right? God makes everything, and it is good. Um, he creates man. He breathes life into man. He creates him in the image of God. And he gives them a task, and man exists with God. So you've got one through two. <clears throat> Excuse me. Genesis 3, we see the fall of man. So we see Adam and Eve, they're tempted by Satan to usurp the authority of God, to decide that they know what's right and what's wrong. They want to be like him, they eat the fruit. And so mankind perpetually falls into sin. And from Genesis 3 into Genesis 11, you've got all these different stories of the effects of sin and how that's um, influencing mankind, right? So you've got Noah and the ark, you've got the earth gets so bad, God literally floods it and scraps and starts with Moses. Um, you've got the Tower of Babel, man tries to reach God and God spreads them across the nations in Genesis 11. And so we're left asking ourselves the question, 
how in the world is mankind going to be reconciled back to God? What is he going to do? And enter Abram, or later to become Abraham in Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, literally the first three verses, as we see on the screen, God unveils his plan for how he's going to reconcile the world back to himself. And he says to Abraham, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So essentially, condensing it down, God says, you're going to be my people. I've chosen you to be the father of my people, and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to give these things to you so that the whole rest of the world can be blessed through you. Hence my stick-figure graphic, right? So through one man, through his descendants, the whole world is going to receive this blessing. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, I was like, okay, what does blessing mean? What is, what is this blessing? How is the whole world, from one person, how is the whole world going to be blessed? So we keep going, next slide please, to Exodus. So at this point, um, God's people have been enslaved in Egypt. God sent Moses and brought them out of Egypt. And God speaks to Moses, through Moses, to his people. And he says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So next slide, please. When you look at that, you want to define, he says, you'll be my priests, you'll be a holy nation. When you look at the definition of priests, both in how the Bible would define it and even today, Merriam-Webster, it is one authorized to perform the sacred rites of a religion, especially as a mediatory agent between humans and God. So we've got God, align his people, and then align in the rest of the world. So these priests, when he says, you'll be my priests, you'll be my holy nation, he says, you'll be my kingdom of go-betweeners between me and the rest of the nations. Not only are you to be a blessing to all nations, but you are the vehicle in the avenue that I'm going to use to bless all nations. So we start to see a pattern of God blessing his people, and through his people, the whole world going to be blessed. Next slide, please. Go even further into the Old Testament. You've got Isaiah 49.6. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people again. He makes it very clear. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Two things about this that I feel like is really strong and really worth taking note of. One is, and I emphasize it on my own, but he said, you will be my instrument of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say that it's going to be through some other avenue. It's going to be through his people that the blessing of salvation is going to come to all the earth. The second part is I feel like he answers that question of what the blessing is going to be that we asked earlier with Abraham. You will bring my salvation. And we know that. We've, we're here today. We're here to worship. We're here to praise. We're here to give thanks to God because of the salvation that he's given us because we have hope in an eternal life, and we know that's through Jesus Christ. And so he basically lays out this plan. You see salvation. I feel like that's a very New Testament term, but we see it all the way back in Isaiah. You're going to bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So he lays that out. 
again, we are the avenue, we are the people, we are the ones given the task of taking this blessing or this salvation to the ends of the earth, and this has come through Jesus Christ. So, those three passages summed up, again, I know I'm moving quick, those three passages summed up, God approached Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, you are going to be my people, and through you, all the nations will be blessed, and this blessing is going to be salvation through my son, Jesus Christ. Okay? Go ahead to the next slide, please. Okay, what I just said, the blessing was promised, that was promised to come through Abraham, was and is Jesus today. He is the blessing to all nations, and we have been tasked with taking him to all peoples, near and far, by the gospel, in and through our lives. You go to the next slide, please. So, the phrase all nations, this task, this idea of all people being blessed, through God's own people. This is all over Scripture, right? So the Bible I have, I actually can't turn a page without the words all nations, all peoples, all the earth, something popping up once. Okay, it's everywhere. And if we had time to unpack that, we would. But one more example, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. We see that verse a lot. We love that verse. It's very comforting, especially in times of trouble. And that's what it's supposed to be for. I'm not denying that. But... As it popped up, that's actually just the first half of the verse. The second half of the verse that we like to leave off for some reason says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. So the whole reason why we can even be still and take comfort in the fact that God is God is because he is God of all the earth. And he will be known. He will be exalted among all the nations. Next slide, please. In case we missed the memo in the Old Testament, all the times that it was referenced and all the times it was talked about, Jesus came, we see him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, in John, and a little bit in Acts at the beginning. And Jesus repeated five times on five separate occasions this idea of us being a blessing to bless all the rest of the world, and we know it as the Great Commission, right? And so in Matthew 28, 18-20, one of my favorite references of the Great Commission, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the command here, make disciples, the passive part of that being go as you go here, as you go out in Troy, as you go out in Kansas and the United States, overseas as you go, make disciples is the command, but he just emphasizes again, we see that word, all nations. It's not restricted to here. It's not restricted to afar. It's everywhere. We're in charge and we're tasked with taking the gospel to all places and all people. Next slide, please. So we've gone from Genesis. We've gone to Exodus, to Isaiah. We've gone to Matthew. Now we're going to jump ahead to Revelation. Revelation 5.9. There is a proclamation to Jesus. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Again, we see that phrase, you are to be a kingdom, you are to be priests, you are to be the go-betweeners between me and the nations. And the whole purpose, Jesus died, he has purchased people from every tribe and every language. So since he's paid the price for them, we should be taking the message to them 
go further, you can do one more slide, please. A couple chapters later, this is the end goal of missions. This is actually how it's going to end. It's crazy when you think about that. This is going to be experienced by each of us who have a relationship with Jesus. And it is a vision that John has, and he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, or every nation, if you type like I do, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And you can just picture it, right? Everybody's dressed in white. Everybody's facing the same direction, and you can hear all the different languages proclaiming the same thing about their creator. It's a wonderful picture, and it's something that we get to be a part of. We know it's going to happen. The decision we need to make then is to what extent am I going to influence how fast this is going to happen. In Matthew, Jesus said, all people, every tribe will hear of the salvation that I have to offer, and then the end will come. So we've gone from Genesis, we've gone to the middle of the Bible, if you want to just picture looking at it with me, from Genesis all the way to the back cover of Revelation, from past, present, to future. And I know it's been brief, but we've covered the fact that through Jesus' own words, through God's words, all people, His people, are going to be a blessing, take this blessing of salvation to all the earth. And it's part of our story today too, right? We have the gospel here in America because... Somebody hopped on a ship, they crossed an ocean, they came here to be with us, they brought the gospel message with them, whether they were bringing it as a missionary or not, and now we have it here in America because somebody brought it. It didn't start here as much as it seems like it did. The gospel started someplace else and came here. So we answer those questions I talked about in the beginning. What, why, how, what is missions? Missions is our story of the gospel going out from all of God's people to all nations of the world for the purpose of bringing God the worship and the glory that He deserves. Missions involves going somewhere to take the gospel where it is previously not known or somewhere where God is currently not being worshipped and glorified as He should be by His creation. Right. So not everybody is called to be a missionary. Not everybody, not everywhere is a mission field. We do believe everybody who calls on the name of Jesus is called to be a minister of the gospel, and everywhere is called to be a ministry. Missions is something specific beyond the walls of the church. So why? Simply put, because this is our purpose, and because Jesus commanded us to do so, right? Jesus didn't say, if you feel like it, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Jesus didn't say, you know, Abram, I'm going to bless you, but these blessings, do with them what you want. He said, no, you're going to be a blessing to be a blessing to all nations. So, it is our purpose to recognize what God has given us, the blessings and the good things He's brought in our life, and to not sit with them as a bucket, but to be a channel for these things to flow through into the lives of people near and the lives of people far. And now the question is how? Everybody's called to be involved, and everybody has a job to do when it comes to this gospel going to all nations. So how? What does that look like? And there are, these guys are on top of it, man. Good. Scripture is pretty clear. It gives us five different examples of how we're involved in missions, how we're involved in the Great Commission. Um, it doesn't just, there's not a passage that says, here are the five ways. It's a send, pray, mobilize, welcome, go. 
But if you look at how people are involved and how God is cultivating the lives around this story of missions, the narrative of the Bible, we see five glaring ways people seem to be involved. One is by sending. There's scripture here. If you want to write it down to look at it later, but I'm not going to walk us through these things. So sending, you've got some scripture there that walks through that. Praying, you've got mobilizing. And when we say mobilize, we simply mean spreading this word to other people who have the opportunity to do something about missions, right? Bringing others, mobilizing them together for the sake of seeing this task through. Uh, Welcoming, you've got as an example of foreigners or travelers being welcomed into your home, welcoming them into your lives so that they can see and hear and know the gospel and the salvation that we have. And then you've got going, which translates a little bit more into Emily and I being here today. Going, what I mean when I say that, I simply mean you are intentionally changing your zip code to take the gospel to somebody who doesn't have it, right? So you're crossing cultural, linguistic, or geographic barriers to take the gospel somewhere, okay? Next slide, please. So that begs the question then, how have we been doing? When I was in college and I first came to faith my freshman year, I was really passionate I mean, I wanted to know as much as I could, and when I finally got to see the narrative of Scripture, it's like my eyes were opened. This idea is everywhere. So then I wanted to know, well, how have we been doing? Um, You hear about places like China, you hear about places like India, and things that are going on in Africa that are amazing. So how close are we? How how close are we to, to finishing this task? Now, for the simplicity of this graphic, these are statistics from a group called Global Frontier Missions. Okay, so... You can look them up and see more for what they have to do. But the way they broke it up into the world, global Christianity, if you look at it, there's pretty much you can divide it into 33% for each category, right? So 33% of the world would claim to be Christians, nominal Christians, whether they are practicing or whether they simply say they're following Christ. We don't distinguish with that statistic. We simply say 33%, right? That's the top right third. The bottom third are what we would call people who are unbelieving. They do not claim to follow the truths of Scripture, but they have access to things like the Bible. They have access to churches and the places where they live. Um, So if they wanted to know more, they could know more. The other third of the graph, what what I have classified as people that have no access are people that don't believe in the gospel and they've never heard of who Jesus is. There isn't a church among them to share the gospel with them, to share truth with them. Um, They don't have a Bible in their own language or they don't have access to that type of stuff. So globally, you're looking at a 33% distribution of each of these categories, right? So we're doing okay. If you want to break that down even further, there are these things called people groups, which is even more specific than countries and political barriers, right? So there's 16,000 people groups in the world. There are a little over 6,000 people groups that would fall into that no access category, right? So we've 10,000 people groups, it's good, and we can praise God for that. There are 6,000 who are left to still hear the gospel, okay? Um, Keep going, please. So we're going to follow the numbers and the people, and then we'll follow the money for a second. So this is the missionary population serving globally right now. Let's see if I can find the breakdown of this just a little bit more. Um... We have the world separated into those thirds, and that's going to kind of be our overarching theme as we talk about some more of these statistics. So of the world's current Christian population, there are currently around 400,000 missionaries. That's a lot. 
right? So 400,000 missionaries, this translates to roughly one out of every 1,800 believers, nominal believers, we're sending as a missionary, okay? This is where the graph comes into play. The Christian world, all the way to the left, currently right now, 72% of our global missions force, we are sending to the places that already have established churches and already have established Bibles. 25%, we are sending to places where there is partial access. People haven't believed in who Jesus is, but they have access to him. Only 3% of the world mission force of Christians are going to the section of the world's population that have no access to the gospel or the church, which translates to roughly around 2 billion people. If you break that down, there's one missionary for every 166,666 people who have no access to the gospel. So you look at those numbers, and if you're like me, you think, well, that that's interesting. You'd think that they'd be reversed, right? We would be sending people to the places that need it most. Keep going, please. Next slide. So now we're going to talk about money. We talked about manpower and where people are at. Now we're going to look at money. All right. Let's see. Annually, globally, Christians earn $42 trillion. I saw that number. I was like, wow, like we're doing pretty good for ourselves. Um, $42 trillion. Of this $42 trillion, $700 billion are given to Christian causes each year. Again, this is great things to praise God for. Now, this is all-encompassing for what we spend money on, right? So the, the $700 billion can go towards anything, whether that's printing uh, bulletins to the gospel going to the unreached places, right? So what this means, though, if you follow the money, you do the math, $700 billion of $42 trillion is actually less than 2% of income being given to Christ's causes. Of the $700 billion given to Christ's causes, only $45 billion goes to missions specifically, which is a little over 6% of Christian giving. So what we're looking at when we look at this graph is 6% of 2%, if that makes sense. It's confusing for me too. 6% of 2%. So here we go. 87% of the 6% is going to the missionaries serving in the already reached places of the world that have Bibles and churches. We talked about it earlier. We're sending most of our people to places that already have churches, that already have the gospel, and we're giving 80% of our money to those people. 12% goes to the world that has partial access. Again, people that aren't believing, but they have access to these materials and to these, the church. And 1% goes to the unreached. So, to sum that up, go to the next slide, please. We're sending 3% of our global missions workers armed with only 1% of missions giving to the unreached. Now, those numbers seem really dismal and they can seem discouraging and they can be even uncomfortable to hear. But I think that the first step in solving a problem or doing anything about it is recognizing there is one. So there are places of the world that have no access to the gospel. There's nobody telling them and there's nobody coming to them. Okay, so... God is a just God. He doesn't send people to hell, but the reality is that when people don't have the gospel and they don't hear it, they have to go spend eternity in hell and there's nobody mediating, there's no priest, there's nobody taking the gospel to them to change that eternal destination. And that makes me a little uncomfortable and it's okay if it makes you uncomfortable, I think. Um, part of this whole problem, I think, is that people just don't know the numbers. Okay. Um, can you go forward one? Okay. 
This is a statistic that breaks down the money even more and lets us visualize it even more. Annually, Americans, we spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than we spend on efforts to take the gospel to the least reached people of the world. I'm not saying your pets don't look cute, okay? They do. But when we look at how that money could be used, we have to come to grips with an uncomfortable question in our own lives of, am I doing something about that? Or is it out of sight, out of mind? Because once we know, we have to wrestle through how we will respond to that information. Right? So, if you go to the next slide, please. So, so we're going to start talking a little bit more about Emily and I specifically. We've mentioned Japan already, and Bree mentioned Japan, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But the story of missions, the story of giving, that all led Emily and, I, Emily and I on the path of why we're choosing Japan in the first place. And a question we get a lot is, why Japan? So you hear about things in Africa, China, India. Typically those places can be associated with a little bit more material need. And that's right. I mean, Japan doesn't have a lot of material needs. They're wealthy. They're, they have a, uh, a good economy. So why Japan? And we actually have a video so that I can stop talking. We have a video that's going to unpack a little bit more the reality of Japan, why we're going, um, what the needs are, and the current status of, of the country. So watch that with me. One of the most common questions we get is why Japan? Why does Japan need missionaries? They're rich, they're prosperous. But what most people don't realize is that Japan is actually one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. There are 127 million people in Japan. Fully one-third of them live in an area called the Kanto Plain. Tokyo is one of the largest urban centers in the world. It's a study in contrasts. There's the ancient, there's the traditional, with temples and shrines and many of the old ways still visible on every street corner. And yet there's also the modern, the progressive, a city that's constantly running forward. There's the very rich and there's the very poor. Though Japan is materially well off, it's spiritually very poor. Out of 692 large cities, 86 have only one church, and 10 large cities have no church at all. There's one missionary for every 56,000 Japanese. Shinto and Buddhism are the main religions of Japan. These are religions widely practiced, but honestly not widely believed. 79% of Japanese, when asked if they had to choose a religion, expressed their greatest interest in Christianity. But why? Why don't they come to Christ at that level? There's many reasons. After World War II, Hirohito, the emperor, declared to the nation that he was not God. And something was born in the heart of the Japanese at that point, where they began to wonder, well, if this man who was a God isn't anymore, how can we trust anything? And a hopelessness began to enter into the nation. 11% of Japanese wish that they'd never been born. 85% of the young people wonder why they even exist. There's a hopelessness in Japan that can only be answered by the God who made them but the God who knows why he created them. Japan has the sixth highest suicide rate on the planet. An estimated 30,000 people a year take their own lives. That's 100 people a day. That's three people every hour committing suicide in Japan. 
Francis Xavier said that the Japanese were some of the finest people he'd ever met on the planet. They said this was a nation that was ripe for the gospel, and you still see it. The Japanese, they're beautiful people, they're hospitable, they're smart, they're attention to detail, they're striving for excellence, they do things well. The Japanese are incredibly smart, they're creative, they're funny, they're hospitable. There's so much talent and so much gifting and so much that's amazing about this culture. But at the same time, families are breaking down. Fathers work so many hours a week that their kids sometimes see them an hour or less every week. This is a fatherless people, a fatherless generation. There's men and women growing up in this country who don't know who they are. They don't know what it means to be mature. Many Japanese experience hopelessness as an almost constant reality of their life. So what's the answer? It's clear that Jesus is the answer. It's clear that Jesus is the source of hope. It's clear that Jesus is the only one. He called this nation out. He is calling this nation out. He's the one who said, I call you by name to be my chosen people. I believe that God is going to turn this into one of the greatest missionary sending nations in the world. I believe that the Japanese are the key to reaching the rest of Asia and the keys to reaching the Muslim nations. But the only way they're ever going to know is if you come, if you say yes. We need teachers. We need athletes. We need artists. If you have a gift set, we need you to come and bring what the Lord has gifted you with to reach a nation that's on the cusp of revival, that's on the cusp of being released as a sending nation. Why Japan? The real question is why not Japan? better half, the better looking half. Um, she can come. Does she have a mic that she can pull from? Okay. Okay, good. Um, I just wanted to recap on the video a little bit. I'm Emily, by the way. Um, something that probably stood out to you from the video is that while Japan looks so prosperous and very um, advanced with technology and development, um, it's a very dark country. And it was sharing about how there's 127 million people in Japan, but 0.2% of Japanese believe in Jesus and follow him. And um, Ethan will share a photo in a little bit, but um, on our first, we visited Japan for two weeks last year, and on our first day there, we met a Japanese pastor, and that was the first thing that he shared with us was um, 0.2 of the Japanese people um, have heard of Jesus and believe in him. And so um, he was very transparent with us that they just need help. They need people who are willing to come and stay and live in Japan and do life with the Japanese. And something that overwhelmed Ethan and I, um, I was expecting a little bit more of a glamorous trip, um, something that would be more inviting. I'd feel welcomed into Japan um, when we were there because we went to investigate if we could live there long term. And while I felt welcomed, I felt like the Japanese people were so hospitable. Like he said, they're just such a kind and and um, affirming people. Um, it's a very dark country. Everyone wears a dark coat. Everybody has dark hair. Um, it's very quiet. The subways are quiet. So Ethan and I felt like we couldn't even talk on the subway because it was so um, 
quiet and still. And um, the idea behind this darkness that is just looming in the country is he said that there's a percentage of people who wish they'd never even been born in Japan. And the idea behind that is that they live in such a hopelessness, they dwell in such a hopelessness of life that the suicide rates, well, actually suicide is the leading cause of death in Japan. Um, they're a very healthy country. It's a very safe country. So the leading cause of death is suicide. Every 20 minutes, someone takes their life in Japan. And not only does that mean that the population growth, the population in Japan is very flighty and unpredictable, but it means that every 20 minutes in Japan, um, someone's being welcomed into eternity in hell apart from God. Um, so it does cast this darkness upon Japan that doesn't feel like a comfortable place to live. It doesn't feel inviting. Um, but the idea is that because these missionaries who have come to Japan, they feel this darkness, they feel overwhelmed by it, they leave Japan um, because it's just not comfortable. And so Ethan and I's prayer is that we will feel equipped and um, built by the gospel, and the finished work that Jesus has done, and not rely on ourselves to sustain in Japan, but to rely on the finished work of Jesus and come alongside the local church um, to to complete this work, complete this task. So um, something that Ethan and I are hoping today is just to share with you a little bit more about what we would pray for a partnership with a church like this, um, more people here um, to send us to go to stay long-term in Japan. Yeah, so the graph shows a little bit of what Emily talked about, and I'm glad it's on the bigger screen because on my computer the point two actually didn't even show up, but... It kind of puts it in a perspective, right? To see the numbers and to see the bars. I mean, you have a better chance of becoming a New York Times best-selling author than of running into a Japanese Christian by accident. Um, the statistics are staggering and it's crazy. And we, when we were there, we really experienced that. Um, yeah. Do you want me to share about? No. That's fine. We'll, we'll get there in just a second. You can go. You can go to the next. You can go to the next slide. Sorry, that that uh, statistic was was just what I said. So, um, even on to the next slide, please. So this is a picture of us. This is actually the first morning that we were there. We flew in the night before, um, and we got to come spend time with this church. Um, that guy, his name is Inoue Sensei. They call pastors senseis there. Almost sounds like a movie. Um, but it just means teacher. We thought that was really cool. But he is the one that Emily mentioned that shared some, some statistics and some things with us um, that were really powerful. And he didn't cast a rosy-colored glasses lens on Japan. He was just very candid with us. Um, in the last 10 years, they have seen more missionaries leave Japan than they have seen come. Um, Japan is a country that people would classify or consider to be hard soil. The reason being is because missionaries are coming and they're not staying. They're coming for three years, they're coming for five years, and then they're leaving. They're like, man, we thought we would see more, we expected to see more. God, did you want us here because we're not seeing anything? And that galvanized Emily and I to really think through, and we're not going to Japan, we're not coming with a timeline in mind, we're coming with the intention of we are asked to stay, we will stay, we will build relationships with these people. We are committed to them even having the chance to hear the gospel and choose to accept it or reject it in themselves. So he was a guy that was a really pivotal part for us on this trip, um, and we really enjoyed spending time with him. You can share about the book. 
So something that was a delight in Japan was when we were on the college campus, we went to go visit a university. They were having English camp. We went on the last day of English camp. And the idea behind a lot of the students in Japan is they don't really have an interest to come to America to study, whereas a lot of students from China have an interest to come um, study in um, America. So they don't, in Japan, they don't really care to continue speaking English throughout their life. They learn it as a little kid in school and then forget how to speak it. So um, Ethan and I will be full-time language students when we first move to Japan for the first two years. We'll be enrolled in a Japanese school and um, be taught by a native Japanese. Um, and we'll also spend the first two years in Japan being a part of a small team where we will do spiritual and um personal development and be a part of a team where we will be learning more about um, how to um, adjust and um, learn about the culture um, in Japan. And something that was encouraging to us about the college students was that they approached us. A lot of the people that we just bumped into on the streets didn't seem very approachable. They seemed kind. They would have helped us if we asked, but the college students would come up to us. And even if they couldn't speak English, they would just stand and look at us because they are just hungry for a relationship. And so um, Ethan and I's heart is that after our first two years of language school in Japan, we would have have a presence. We would partner with the university in Japan and be able to meet the students. Um, the work culture in Japan is very demanding, and so a lot of times men will work 80 hours of overtime a month. Um, and the video said that they might see their kids an hour a week, kind of, th- or an hour a day. Still, both are poor, but a week. Um, and so our heart would be that these college students are still very unattached. They haven't committed themselves to a, a work, to a job, to a career. So they are still very pliable to be used and be sent by God and to consider what the gospel would look like in their lives and to choose to follow Jesus. So um, Ethan and I are excited. We loved being a part of a college ministry at K-State, and we feel like God cultivated a heart to serve college students long-term. So we're excited to meet more Japanese college students over time. Yeah, next slide, please. Something that's really exciting, and, and we've shared some of the um, the daunting things that have highlighted the need in Japan, but sociologists who study the culture, and specifically religion, believe Japan really is on the cusp of a massive spiritual awakening because they're such a tradition-oriented society. They've always done the same thing, and the younger generation that's growing up, the college students we interacted with, you know, they're, they have phones. They have internet. Japan's a wide open country politically, so they know that there's more stuff out there. They actually know now there's other religions. There are other things that people know that are true. And so they're really curious. And they're exploring. And they're starting to see a shift in the openness and curiosity in the culture of Japan. And so they're starting to ask questions. And our vision and our heart is to be able to be there to answer them with truth when they ask those questions so that they don't hear more deception and more lies. So it's really exciting to think about what the potential can be to be there when these people are asking questions and to answer that with truth. And we're really excited about that. So um, next slide, please. You want to share this one? 
So we're on track to leave for Orlando in two weeks. We move February 9th, um, and working with Pioneers will be great. They're the agency that's helping us to go and um, live long-term in Japan. And actually, for the next year and nine months, we'll be working with their mobilization team while we continue to prepare for Japan and do personal and marital development um, things to get ready. Um, we're going to be working for Pioneers to help send others to the field, to help equip others to go. Um, I'll be doing more software development. Ethan will be doing more coaching with candidates who want to go. Um, but we're excited. I think Pioneers has such an incredible vision for making disciples um, in the unreached people groups of the world. So we'll be in good company. They will um, they'll, they'll have much to teach us and incredible wisdom that we can learn from and come alongside. And then, so we're there from in two weeks until October 2019. And then November 2019, we'll actually launch to Japan. And so what Ethan and I have been doing the last couple of months is uh, developing a support team. And Ethan's going to share more about that. But the idea is that our work with Pioneers, it's a nonprofit agency. And so our salaries, our, our monthly salary is support-based. So we rely on the means of others um, to bring us along and support us as we go. And God's been so generous. We're already at 90% of our total goal of, of what we need for a monthly salary to be sustained in Orlando. Um, God's brought so many amazing people into our life who have agreed to come alongside us and support us monthly. Um, and what that will look like is the same for Japan, a team that will stay with us and continue to send us and support us while we're there. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah, to be clear, I mean, we are here to invite the families and to invite the Church of Troy Christian to help send us to this country to take the gospel there to fulfill the Great Commission, what we've seen from Genesis 12 into Revelation 7, and to do this and to lift us up and to help us be there. And Scripture is clear. Man, it is faithful and it is a good task for the body of Christ globally to send and sustain its cross-cultural missionaries. And 3 John 1, 5-8, he says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such so that we may work together for the truth. It's exciting to think that the gospel goes to the unreached, not because missionaries are there, but because they are being held up by the church. They're the reason everybody is on the same team. Everybody's passionate about the gospel getting to these places. Some are called to go to another country like Emily and I. Some are called to stay and lift them up in prayer and through helping keep them there and sustain them there through financial gifts. And it's clear and it's all a part of one concerted effort to take the gospel to people who don't have it. And it's an incredible privilege and an incredible responsibility to be a part of this narrative of Scripture. And we think that that's part of it. I mean, in the, in the Bible study we talked about just below below deck, if you will, for beforehand said that, you know, they use an analogy of a pinched hose. Sometimes there are things in our life that are keeping us from allowing the power of the Spirit to flow through us into the lives of others. And just think of removing those obstacles and what's, what's that in your life that's keeping you from allowing the Spirit to work in through you into the lives of other people. I, I love that illustration. Um, so our greatest need right now, you can go to the next slide. Our greatest need right now is for people to prayerfully consider joining our team prayerfully through monthly support, through being a part of our newsletter and hearing our prayer requests so that you can pray for us and us hearing back from you so that we can pray for you. But we really need people to 
financially partner with us right now. Like Emily said, we're at 90% of our goal. We only have 10 left. And to put that in perspective, that's right around $550 more monthly in support that we need. But if you break that down, that's like 10 families partnering with $55 a month. Um, that seems really tangible. It seems really practical. Or, or 11 families for 50 a month. Or seven families committed to $80 a month. You break it down however you want. You don't have to give those amounts. Scripture is clear. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. But we're just breaking it down and making it more tangible. Sometimes people's careers only allow for them to give just kind of a one-time gift, uh, a chunk of money once a year. And we have people doing that because it works for them, it works for their families, and they can determine amounts on a yearly basis. We just want to be clear. We are asking the families and the individuals of Troy Christian to prayerfully consider being a part of the gospel going to Japanese people through monthly partnerships or through one-time gifts with us. So um, there are many ways to be involved. We have information in the back on cards. I don't know how many you put back there, but if they run out, we have more. Um, we want to be in touch with people that are interested. Maybe you've felt the Spirit nudging you through this video saying like, man, I don't want the crisis of Christianity in Japan to be a problem because of me. I want to be involved. Maybe some of you are thinking about, I don't know yet, I need more time to pray, and that's great. We just want to know, we want you to know that we want to stay in touch, we want to pray for you, and we want to have your guys' information if you're still considering it or need time to think about it. So, We've got a paper for people to put their names, their email address, and if they're interested in us following up with them in the back, we want to make that available. Or you might say, hey, I'll get back to them when I want to get back to them. Our email address is on our cards as well. So um, after the service, we're going to be in the back to talk to people to answer questions. We have a huge core value of transparency on our team. And so whether it's questions about the budget, whether it's questions about how that money will be used specifically, please ask because we want to tell you if you have those questions. Okay, um, Go to the next slide, please. And maybe it feels strange because you don't know us, and that's okay. You don't. I mean, you have no reason to. We're um, we're new here, and so um, something that I know that really drew my heart to Japan was that they are a culture of honor and shame. So they, rather than feeling freedom in different areas of their life, they carry bondage throughout their whole life, thinking that they are the reason their family is disappointed, that they are the greatest disappointment of their family, and that also contributes to the suicide rates. And so something that I feel like I could come along the Japanese students that I'm meeting in that I have found incredible freedom in Christ, knowing that um, Jesus has paid the full penalty of what I deserved to bear, um, the full penalty of, of my life, and he has paid that price in full so that I can experience freedom in Christ throughout my life um, and be able to serve him out of joyful obedience. And I want to come alongside, you know, Japanese college girls who are fearful and feel shamed by their families and liberate them from the bondage they carry so that they can experience freedom in Christ. If that's what you want to do, then this team would be for you um, to come alongside us. If you would want people in the world to experience the freedom you've experienced in Christ, then, um, then we want to welcome you onto our team to send us prayerfully and financially. And I love this quote by Betty Barnett. She said, I am carried on the shoulders of those who cannot see the landscape. The landscape I describe, I owe them far more than my weight. And so it'll be hard for us to tell you what we're seeing and smelling and touching and experiencing in Japan. But 
you're carrying us there, that the, the people that come alongside us prayerfully and financial are keeping us there and will be just an incredible force um, of why we can remain in Japan. And so we're thankful that we got to come today and talk to you all. Um, if you, again, if you have questions or different things you want to know, um, we'll be here. And Bree knows a lot about our, our mission, too, so you can ask her. That. Yeah, it's exciting to think, man, Troy Christian could be the final 10% that gets us there, that sends us, and we get to tell the Japanese church in Japan, there's a church in Troy, Kansas. And they're like, where? Troy, Kansas. That is allowing the gospel to be here and allowing us to help you because they're sacrificially giving because it's important to them. Now, there's no pressure, there's no attachment that comes with that. I'm just casting vision for it has, it has the potential to be very cool, even through prayer, to know that they have people praying for them is really powerful. So, missions is our story. It is the story from the beginning of when man fell in sin and God has begun to reconcile his people back to himself and we all have a role to play in it. Okay? And it's so exciting to think that whether it's praying, whether it's going, whether it's sending, whether it's all three or it's all five, we all get to be a part of the story that started in Genesis, that started on a completely different continent and is going to involve all of us one day in that picture of Revelation 7, standing before God, saying, God, we did what we could to make sure that you were glorified, you were worshipped as you could. So um, we want to say thank you for allowing us to be here, for allowing us to talk through some of the statistics to you guys to share specifics about Japan and even have the chance to personally invite you guys to be a part of that ministry. Um, in a second, I'm going to welcome Tim back up to, to close things, but I just wanted to pray for us before we were before we were done. So, Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you for being the God that you are that is good and that loves his people enough to have not left us alone and left us isolated when we chose to rebel against you. Lord, you came after us. You pursued us. Lord, you sent your son Jesus to come live in our form to experience life with us, to show us the way to live and to give us eternal life, Lord. And we don't take that for granted, Lord. You gave us the model. You came to us to give us the gospel, to give us eternal life and salvation. And now it's up to us to go and be with people to take them the gospel, to take them salvation, Lord. So, Thank you for this time. Thank you for this group of people here in Troy that are flying your flag and waving your banner here in the city. Lord, they do good work and they have called to be here and work amongst the people of Troy. We praise you and thank you for them, Lord. Um, To you be all the glory and it's for your name's sake that we go and that we give and that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.